talk. Our guest in the episode moved to Alaska at the age of five. She was introduced to mid- and long-distance mushing by two of the best mushers of all time, her father and stepmother, Alan Moore and Ali Zirkel. She currently lives in Nome, where she is an emergency room nurse. She was a rookie in last year's Iditarod and was forced to scratch near White Mountain due to the violent storm. Please welcome to the show, Bridget Watkins. Hello, Bridget, and welcome back to the show. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Hey, yeah, uh, this is Bridget Watkins, and I live in Salt Lake, Alaska with my family, two kids, and my husband, and our 28 dogs. So you live in Nome, Alaska, at your kennel, Kennel on a Hill. Can you talk? Can you talk about your kennel and your dogs? Yeah, we actually live in Salcha. Um, we're trying to get to Nome as we're trying to get, but we live in Salcha, and uh, we have dogs anywhere from our old retired guys who are over ten all the way down to the yearlings that are the up and coming running dogs. But for the most part, our dogs that are running are anywhere between ages of two and eight years old. We also have a couple of pet dogs that live inside, and so we are always a busy moving kennel with kids and dogs and family life. Last year you were rookie in the Iditarod. Can you talk about your experience before you encountered the terrible storm? Yeah, so I was a rookie last year, and I'm actually going to be a rookie again this year, so I got to finish to get rid of that title, but... You know, coming up to the Iditarod, I was I felt very prepared. I was fortunate to have the best mentors that a person could have with my family. And, you know, I really tried to embrace and enjoy every minute of it. I was amazed at the beauty that surrounded me throughout the entire Alaska range. And I just couldn't believe every time I looked back coming into Roan how my dog team just pulled me through that. And then they pulled me on dry dirt and across the Buffalo tunnels. And, you know, it's just amazing to think that we can travel that long of a distance with this simple dog team in front of us that all they want to do is run. And I enjoyed some really wonderful moments out there camping with my dogs and just getting to see all that Alaska had to offer. You know, I had the fortunate ability to take my time at all the checkpoints and really get to meet some of the checkers and get to meet some of the people that run those checkpoints and live in those village communities and, you know, open up their their towns for us that have hospitalities like none other. And so I really got to enjoy all of Iditarod. And, you know, you really always know something's going to happen. You don't know when and you hope you're prepared. And then by golly when I got to the coast uh the winds hit us and you know we pushed through and we we kept going and lots of wind pretty much from the time we hit Uniclead on and it never let up we just encountered more and more and more wind and then that very last run got us you know we were headed to the finish line and we didn't quite make it there we were we were pretty close we were just about 50 or 60 miles shy of it when you know we just encountered a ground blizzard and it just shows us that mother nature really is mother nature and has the final say in everything you know i think it's important to know when it's time to to call it quits and when it's time to push on and i definitely felt like for the safety of myself and uh my team and you know gerhardt who is with me and all of us that that was just the right move to make so i had an amazing experience and i did a rod and i expect the same this year uh knowing that there'll be challenges that come along again you made it past white mountain and you were just a few hours from finished and when when you and another musher encountered a terrible storm, can you tell us about that? Yeah, the storm was pretty scary. You know, when we, we left, it was dark, and it was 
blowing and the wind just continued to pick up stronger and stronger until, you know, we couldn't physically stand up anymore. It was pushing our sleds over. Our dogs couldn't stay on the trail and um, we were having whiteout conditions and it just wasn't safe to continue on. We couldn't physically, I couldn't physically walk even in front of my team. And so that's when I knew we just had to, we had to build shelter and kind of shelter in place and hope that the storm would pass. But, you know, this, the, the sun rose and the day continued on and the winds just were relentless and just did not give up. And, um, my fellow musher Gerhardt that was with me, we started getting, you know, started getting chilled and started getting cold and some hypothermia and then just some unfortunate events that led up to him breaking his ankle and then me breaking my collarbone and, uh, getting injured we really had to get out of there as we were no longer able to take care of ourselves or the dogs. And we just had to, we had to retreat and that's what had to happen. Since you were injured, since you, you were injured yourself and were in a bad situation, what was your thought to save yourself or the dogs first? Well, you know, it's always, uh, you're doing so much that you're just trying to honestly save both of you. You know, you're, I wasn't worried about myself per se, but a few times, um, when I was kind of alone out there, but I was more worried that the dogs couldn't survive in those elements. And I was most focused on getting shelter for them, which is what we did right away. I built a snow cave and I tried to get them in it and I tried to get them huddled together and warm, which I, I feel like definitely saved their lives and kept them, kept them from harm. Uh, but then we got into a real life and death situation when, um, when Gerhardt broke his leg and he became hypothermic and he could not function any longer and I had to get him out of there. And so that was kind of my priority at that point was we then had to go from rescuing dogs to rescuing people and getting the help where it was needed. And um, it wasn't until I was kind of left on the side of the trail by myself when they took Gerhardt off and I was actually separated from my dog team and I didn't have any of my survival gear immediately with me that I realized I had three matches in my pocket and I was, I was in a bit of a pickle when I sat there, you know, alone without my dog team and uh, for a couple of hours until I was fortunate enough to have a villager that was traveling from one village to the next to come and pick me up to take me back to my dog team where I uh, then proceeded to try and rescue the rest of my dogs. And that's when I broke my collarbone and got hurt even more. But, you know, I was constantly just trying to make sure that I had them safe and myself safe. And it was just, uh, you just couldn't stop. So I didn't have time to sit there and feel sorry for myself. It was a, we have to do something or this is going to turn out bad. So do you think being an emergency room nurse gave you an advantage of being in the situation? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I deal with on a daily basis at work is the unknown and worst case scenario. And um, I know what the human body can and can't handle. And I know when things are quote unquote bad versus not bad. And we were getting into a, a bad situation with Gerhardt. And I knew that we had to we had to fix that. And so, you know, my 20 years of emergency nursing definitely paid off for both dogs and humans. And, you know, I'm always having to think on my feet and never know what to expect as a nurse in the ER. And so I think that definitely helps me in dog mushing. How long did it take you for you to recover from both your injury and mentally? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know that I'm recovered for either yet. I think it's an ongoing process. You know, all of mushing and I did a rod and all that we do is a hundred percent mental and physical sport, but I would say it's more mental than physical.
you have to mentally, you know, prepare yourself for what could or might happen and then take care of yourself in those moments. And, you know, when things don't turn out as you plan, you, you got to pick things back up that have unraveled and move forward, or you just kind of stay stuck in that place. And, you know, after I did a rod and I was injured physically and, you know, felt defeated from not finishing the race and things didn't just go as planned. It took, it took a while to be honest, you know, it took all summer and it took me finally until I got back on that sled this winter when I really realized, all right, we got this again, we can do this. And so mentally you have to, you have to stay sharp and you have to stay focused and, you just have to keep moving on. You just can't let these these things that try and stop you because they're always going to try and stop you. You just can't. You just can't let that be your stopping block. And so I just keep pushing forward and knowing that you know we're going to get to the finish line in Nome, and that's where our end destination. It might have taken us a few more years than anticipated, or trails leading us in different directions, but we're going to get there. And, you know, physically, uh, I would say I'm, you know, at about 85%. I can use my arm and my shoulder, but you know, any athlete always has some kind of injury that's nagging. And I think you just deal with those after you've been, you've been using your body like we have for as many years as we have. This was your second life or death situation in just two months. How did both of these events affect you? Well, not well. It, it didn't go well there for, for a few months post I did a rod. I was kind of in a low spot mentally, and um, it took a lot. You know, it took a lot of time and patience with myself and realizing, you know, this is really what we want. And, you know, the dogs came out okay and we're all right. And um, realizing who you are as a person and what you're capable of, you're capable of way more than you think you are. And that just gets back down to the mental aspect of it when you just – you just can't give up. You just got to keep going for what your goal is. You will be back competing in the Iditarod this year. What is pushing you to do this again? You know, I want to finish. And so you have, you set goals in your life, and some people are fortunate enough to reach them, some aren't. And I just feel like this is still an attainable goal that we have. And who knows where we'll end up or where we'll place. That's not important to me. What's important to me is to just finish this task at hand and, you know, we'll do the best we can and we'll do the best that the dogs are able, that I'm able. And you know what? We're going to have a fantastic time out there, even when it's hard, because it's going to get hard. You know, I'm still going to be so grateful just to be out there because that's what it's about. It's about getting to that finish line, getting, getting to that end goal and you know it's really important my children have watched all of these things transpire over the last few years and you know I think it sets a standard for you don't give up on your dreams and your hopes even when it gets hard because the things that you want the most are going to be the hardest and so all I hope is that I can instill in them that you really have to try for what you want and just don't give up even when you hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock at some point you're going to break through and you're going to get there are you worried about another disaster on the trail? Well, there's always a disaster. There's always things that are lurking. There's always things that are going to try and take you out. So I don't, I'm not necessarily worried about them. I feel that I'm, I'm prepared and I'm ready. And, you know, when they come, we'll face it head on and we'll just keep on going. And, you know, if we have to go to plan B or C or D, well, we'll do that because, you know, what we've done it before and we can do it again. And so there's always things that can concern you, but you cannot get you can't over-focus on any of that. You just have to focus on the mile you're at and what's happening in that moment, and you can't worry about what's going to happen 700 miles ahead of you because you're not there yet. So you have to worry about what section of trail you're in and what what environment is is 
being thrown at you at that moment. So that's all that I try to remember is just one mile at a time, one checkpoint at a time, and you just get to the next one, and then you face that challenge one after the next after the next. Our final question is the dinner party. You are able to invite five Iditarod icons to dinner. Living or dead, who would you invite to your dinner party? Well, you know, I always say my dad and Allie because I always love hearing all the stories, even though I've been part of them. But, you know, I think back and I think to all the old timers that have been here before us. And I think that's what I did around about. You know, we've kind of turned into this very fast paced race. But I love hearing the stories of when it was hard and when it was when it wasn't quite the Iditarod of, of this time, you know, when it was 20 or 30 years ago when the trails weren't perfectly marked and, you know, they didn't know where they were going and it took weeks. And so some of those old time mushers, I think, would be some of the greatest ones to sit down with. And then even moving forward to, like, Susan Butcher. And as a child, she was one of my idols. And so sitting down and really getting to have a cup of coffee with her would have been a great thing to hear all of her stories. So some of the old timers... Um, would have been great to sit down with. Thank you so much for being on the show again, and good luck in the Iditarod. We will be following you. Thanks. Special thanks to our guest, Bridget Watkins, for being on our show this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It helps with our ratings. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on the show, email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would like to also give credit to Hobo Jim from our intro song, the I Did a Rod Trail song, and our outro song, Reddington's Run. To me it's Reddington's Run. In my heart it's Reddington's Run.